Very good, very good. If you have questions about events, just go to events.lancastervineyard.org and you can check out all the events and you should have received an upcoming events uh, flyer as you came in. And so uh, if you didn't, grab that on the way out and it'll give you the next month just kind of some dates you need to look at and get ready for them. Welcome. My name Great to see all of you. Appreciate you being here uh, this nice uh, cold uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So good to see you. Uh, OH. Yeah, see, that's how you feel right now, right? Like, I, uh, it's just like kind of, it's like there's like three people in the room that are super excited, uh, you know, and I bet you can guess who they are, at least one, because he's wearing the sweatshirt. So, uh, yeah, so I just spend, yeah, go blue. I knew somebody would say that. So, yeah, five guys on a Brazil trip, and three of them had them to be Michigan fans. So, uh, definitely having a screening process next trip. Uh, so, anyway, uh, well, let's pray, and I'm going to start a new series entitled uh, Coming and Going. It's our Advent series, uh, preparing us for Christmas and the New Year. So let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for this day. I'm grateful for uh, just your presence, that as we sang about the Holy Spirit, and even that, it just resonated with me so much when we sang that, you're, you're our only hope, you're our living hope, and just that idea of hope resides in you, and so we thank you for that, and it even occurred to me as I sang it that, that I can sing it, I can say it, I can answer the, the right theological question about hope, and yet I just at times wonder how often functionally I live as if you're my only hope. And so I pray that you would shape us during this teaching, that we would reflect on you, and that this season we really would live as if you're our only hope. Um, God, we, we rest on you, we lean into you. Shape us and mold us by the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Over the last few weeks, uh, I'll start with just a discussion that I know our staff had at one point, and I know on the Brazil trip several of us had too. Just we were talking about like some different restaurants that are either coming to town or maybe coming to town or have already come to town. Like somebody informed me, like I guess DoorDash has a secret kitchen at Frisch's, so like you can order... Nathan's Hot Dogs, uh, Nucha's Empanadas, and Wing Depot, all from Frisch's now, and they'll deliver it to you or something. You know, like, didn't even know that existed. And then uh, there's a new, like, sushi place and hibachi grill coming on the corner of Fair Avenue and Memorial Drive, you know. And, and you know, it's not enough to have two hibachi places. There's a third one coming in at Edie Road that's going to have... Uh, sushi, hibachi, and wings. I mean, it's a great combo. And, uh, and so just these new places, Firehouse Subs, I hear is coming to town. So we're talking about this. I don't know that any of them thrilled me. I just was kind of curious about it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like when White Castle came to town. And, and I, then that was something to get excited about. Um, actually, it was. If any of you were around like 20 years ago, like people went stupid. Like, I mean, lined up for hours to get, like, it, it's White Castles. You know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You know I mean? Like, so... Uh, but sure enough, we used to do Sunday night services. We couldn't find anywhere to rent for Sunday morning, so we did Sunday nights at, at a hotel, a conference room. And afterwards, a group of us, after we were done tearing down, we, we went more the first weekend, and we got in line. And then even on Sunday night, like at 8 o'clock, there's a line to get White Castles, and, which is like the worst time to eat a White Castle anyway. But uh, so we're there, and I remember Christy was pregnant with Jesse. It was like late 90, 1999, sometime in 1999. And she, she like takes the first bite, and she goes, sorry, baby. You know, like, like, you know 
<laughs> it should be like on the Surgeon General's warning of things you shouldn't eat while you're pregnant, White Castles. But anyway, when, I, when you do hear of a good restaurant, like how do, you, how do you approach that news? Like if something's coming to town that you really enjoy, like how do you, how do you, how do you process that? Like what do you think about it? How do, when something new is arriving or, or maybe it's a friendship, not a restaurant. Think about that. I know like when I hear a good friend, like I got a text early uh, this week from a buddy of mine that I've known since high school, a guy named Greg, and he lives in Illinois now. And he texted, hey, are you free for breakfast Wednesday morning or Saturday morning? And so just to hear that he was in town and we got to squeeze in a breakfast Saturday morning. It just was a great thing to be able to have that connection. And, and there was some excitement and even told a couple people like, hey man, I get to have breakfast with Greg, you know, that kind of thing. You know, how do you deal with that? Like when you hear somebody or something is arriving, what's the response to that? Maybe it's a favorite musician is touring, coming to Central Ohio. And like, man, I can't believe they're coming to town. I want to go see that concert or go see that show or whatever. I mean, there's some excitement there, right? Like there's, there's this way we respond when things are, are coming to town. And so, you know, this is a common occurrence that even at Christmas. In fact, since the very first Christmas, we've celebrated an arrival and a coming. In fact, we call this season Advent because Advent literally means arriving or arrival or coming. And so we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. And then there's also this kind of double meaning of we're uh, celebrating the fact or anticipating the fact of his arrival in the future, his second coming. And then for, you know, folks like us, where we believe the presence of Jesus actually breaks into everyday life, like we have an anticipation of Jesus arriving at any moment into our lives in, in transforming us or in helping other people praying for people or even like the series we just finished on gifts that like like there's this anticipation like the arrival of Jesus the coming of Jesus so what's the what's the proper response to Jesus's arrival we'll be talking about that today uh specifically but an overall sense this this new series coming and going we'll be talking about the coming of Jesus our proper response to him coming and we'll learn some things of, of what we should be doing, behaviors and actions and attitudes we should have because Jesus has arrived. But also we're talking through coming and going because our church is, is in a big transition period right now. That um, this will be the last month that I serve as senior pastor of Lancaster Vineyard as I announced in September. And so... Um, if that's news to you, I'm sorry you just heard it that way. Uh, you can uh, go to transition.lancastervineyard.org to hear more. But, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, we have Johnny coming in as, uh, he's our associate pastor, but be coming as the senior pastor starting in January. And, and uh, while I'll still be at the church, I'll be leaving this position. And how do we process that? And so we'll talk a little bit about that too, even as we're talking about the arrival of Jesus. And so... Uh, and don't confuse, you know, I'm not like saying the arrival of Johnny as senior pastor is equal to Jesus. It's, it's frankly not even close. But uh, uh, <laughs> the only problem is he'll have the mic uh, here soon, you know, uh, more than me. Uh, so anyway, uh, but no, let's talk about today the proper response to Christ coming at Christmas. And we're going to look at Luke. Um, Luke is the first book of a two-part work called Luke Acts. It's about Jesus and his followers. It was written by a doctor who is a historian, and he actually interviewed the, he looked at some common documents we know that had already been written for his research, but he also talked to the players, uh, people like Paul and Peter and other people who lived then, and he interviewed them, and he got their perspective on the life of Jesus and the early church. Um, 
in the beginning of Luke, we learn like all of a sudden God is active. That, that in Jewish history, there had not been much heard from God really for 400 years. There's like 400 years of silence. There's little pockets of wisdom literature and stuff, but not agreed upon that there were full-on prophetic voices like some of the old prophetic voices in the Old Testament. And so, but all of a sudden there's a flurry of activity. Uh, God sends an angel to an elderly priest and meets him in the temple and tells him that he and his wife, would, would, who she was elderly too, are going to have a baby. It'll be miraculous. And this baby will be a prophet like the prophets of old and will pave the way for the Messiah. And so already angelic things, prophetic things, a, a Messiah that, that's actually coming. Like they've been waiting and waiting, but the Messiah is coming. And, and so all this flurry of activity. And then the very next story, we hear of an angelic visitation to a young teenage girl named Mary in the back country of Galilee. So the first picture takes place right in the center of uh, Jewish culture, political culture, religious culture, right there where all the movers and shakers are, right in the center, which would be the temple. Uh, and now we're going to go 80 to 100 miles away to the back country of Galilee, which, you know, one time when one of Jesus' disciples heard the Messiah had come from Galilee, he said, man, can anything good come from that place? You know, so this is such a, it was kind of a backwoods, humble area. And yet God's going to move there too. And so let's take a look at Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 34. And look at what is the proper response to Christ coming at Christmas. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's the elderly woman who was pregnant with the prophet. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How would this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Like I said, unlike the previous story, which took place right in the center of Jewish culture, this one is like about as far away from Jewish culture as you can get. It's in the back country of Galilee. And instead of taking place in front of a priest, which you would expect God to talk to, now God is preaching or God is talking to and going to use a young teenage girl, probably 12 to 15 years old, who's not married and who grew up in a very, very humble town. And yet we learn that this young woman named Mary is, she's favored by God. Not because of any merit of her own. Not because she did anything particularly noteworthy. She's favored because God said she's favored. The reason she's favored is because God picked her. And so she's favored just because of that. So the words of the angel startled her, even troubled her. How many of us as parents, you know, I mean, uh, you know, let's, let's think about our own context. If you're a parent or if you're pregnant, like when you find out you're pregnant, particularly the first time, it's startling, isn't it? Like you're joy filled generally, right? And yet it's a little bit like, oh crud, what do we get ourselves into? You know, um, you know, I remember with, with Jesse, you know, it was that way, you know, our first you know, we, we'd went through a, a, a miscarriage. And so when we had Jesse, um, found out Christy was pregnant, there was joy. She got pregnant again. And yet there was also this trepidation of like, oh, 
is this going to go through? And then, and then there was trepidation on my part of like, can I be a dad? I mean, how many parents have had that? Can I be a dad? Can I be a mom? How will I do? You know, all of a sudden, you know, it's a big enough step that I'm responsible for another human in marriage, but they're pretty self-sufficient and can take care of themselves. But I'm going to have a baby and like, they're like dependent on me, you know, I mean, of all the people they would depend on, you know. And then when Luke came along, it was joy, and yet there was also trepidation there too, because, you know, it was like, man, we just got this one self-sufficient, you know, and we, we, you know, we did pretty well here, and can we do good, this good the second time, you know? And, and, and so there's all those emotions. And, and then with Emmy, Emmy was a bit of a surprise. Like, we had planned on getting pregnant again. We, we weren't, you know, you know, we were planning on getting pregnant. We weren't taking any measures not to get pregnant, and yet, you know, she came a little earlier than we anticipated. And, and Christy tends to like her babies like she likes her ducks, you know, in perfectly spaced rows. And so, you know, nine to 12 months earlier than Christy's ideal plan kind of threw her for a loop. And I didn't know she was pregnant. She came to the office when it was behind Arby's when we used to have a little office back there. And she comes in and she got Luke, Luke's like a year and a half, just a little guy, and sets him on the couch. She says, I got something to tell you. I just found out I'm pregnant, you know, and, and, uh, and she's smiling, she's happy, yet she's crying, you know, it's all this mix of emotion, I don't, you know, I'm just a dumb husband, I don't know what I'm doing, like, what? and so I'm excited, yet I feel for her, she says, but, but it's a little early, like I was hoping next year, you know, and all this is happening, and hormones are kicking in, whatever, you know, and, and I don't know, like, you know, husbands, how often just in the midst of your wife experiencing anxiety, do you just like say stupid stuff? Like you say it and you're like, that probably wasn't the right thing. So she's sharing how she's scared about having such a little one and then another little one and all of this. And, and I have no idea to this day why I uttered the next sentence I uttered. I was like, well, you know, you know, at, at least you're married. I mean, think how you'd feel if you're a single mom, it'd be even harder. And... <laughs> Like, I have no idea where that came from. Like, that's, this is free, by the way, free advice. Like, husbands, don't ever say that, you know. She, like, cried more, and then, then she started laughing, and, and we made our way through it and got counseling, whatever. But, um, <laughs> now think about Mary in a very conservative culture. Where when you're engaged, the only way to get unengaged is to go through a divorce proceeding. Now, you weren't allowed to live with your husband, and, and you weren't allowed to have sex with your husband, but they literally called each other husband and wife when they got engaged, and that usually lasted a year. What would people think? And then imagine yourself at 13, 14, or 15 at the max. She was 15 at the max. Like, A, are you ready to be a parent? And B, are you ready to parent the savior of the world? This is big stuff. You know, I imagine Mary had all the same emotions. For people had been waiting thousands and thousands of years for God's Messiah to appear. And so it was good news. But I got to believe there was enormous implications for Mary, her family, her husband. And even how would this happen since I'm a virgin? And so look at verse 34, or excuse me, 35. 
The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is her, in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Listen to Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. How will this happen? Well, the Spirit will create life in Mary. She'll give birth to the one who is great, verse 32. He'll be the divine son of the Most High, verse 32. Yet he'll be a man and promised Messiah, son of David, verse 32. He'll rule over Jacob, verse 33. He will reign forever over an eternal kingdom, verse 33. And yet it would all start with God's miraculous activity to a teenager. Side note, man, if you're a teenager... Man, don't ever think God can't use you. <laughs> don't, don't ever give in to what our world often says. Ah, just 13. Don't expect much. Man, you can give birth to the Messiah. If you parent a teen or you're grandparent of a teen, give them those kind of expectations too. That God can use them in powerful ways. Now all of this, what God would do, would come at an enormous cost. I mean, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to you, may it be to me as, as you said. It's as if she's saying, God's word can be trusted. I'll do this because I know it'll happen. There's a certainty about Mary that God will do exactly what he promises. As one commentator, Robert Stein, puts it, with God's grace behind her, Mary knows she can do what God asks. With God's grace behind her, Mary knows what that she can do what God asks. Now this would come as an enormous cost to Mary. The NIV application commentary puts it this way. In standing up for God and his power, Mary will certainly become the object of much doubt and ridicule, but Mary knows she is God's servant, and so she will allow God to work through her as he wills. He can place her in whatever, and just listen to this, he can place her in whatever difficult circumstances he desires, for she knows that God is with her. She can say yes because God is with her. As I read that commentary earlier this week and I just thought, man, to some degree that's where we are at, are at as, a, as a church like right now in this season. Of just saying yes to God and we can be confident because God is with us. I thought about this last year as Christy and I and Emmy discerned what was ahead as the elders and I discerned what was ahead as we began to sense that perhaps God's call was on my life to take a position with Vineyard USA and pastor other pastors there was this sense of man this is going to be difficult we're we're you know as Vineyard USA it feels like I'm jumping off a cliff holding all the airplane parts and we're going to build this thing as we're in the air you know and and yet there was a sense of you can say yes because God is with us as we is Johnny and Jess went through a discernment process. Um, they know it's, it's a big thing to, to take over a position from a founding pastor who's been here 23 years. And there's difficulties there. And, and his style is going to be different than my style. And there's just going to be different things there. And yet, you say yes because, and they said yes because they know God is with us. And collectively as a church, as we rebuild after a pandemic two years, <laughs> There's a sense of it, it's, there's difficulties, and yet 
we can be confident because God is with us. We can say yes. We can say like Mary, may it be to me as you have said. Why? Because you trust God's faithfulness. You've experienced his grace in the past. You know he'll have grace in the future. You've experienced his promises as yes and amen in the past. So you know the current promise will be yes and amen. Because God is with us. We can bear witness to what Christ has done to us and for us. This bearing witness prepares, propels Mary to go and visit her elderly relative Elizabeth, who the angel said is having a baby in her old age. So look at verse 39 through 45. At that time, Mary got ready, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zacharias' home, greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you'll bear, for why am I so favored? The mother of my Lord should come visit me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed, and the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. A few things I want to point out. What's the very first thing Mary does after she gets the good news and says, you can let it happen to me as you said? The very first thing is she goes, and in the grammar there, she goes in a hurry. It's, it, the emphasis is on a hurry, like it was an immediate action. I've got to go tell somebody. I'm going to go tell my cousin. She's experiencing God. I want to go tell her what I've experienced, that the Savior of the world is going to be born. She goes as fast as she could. And the second thing I want you to notice is that, again, in verse 45, we see Mary is blessed because she trusts God will do what he promises to do. Blessed is she who has believed, who has trusted that the Lord fulfill his promises to her. Mary is an example for us. What's a proper response to when Jesus comes? Well, Jesus comes and we go. We go to witness. When we go, we're to go believing the Lord will fulfill his promises. That he will put words in our mouth as a promise he's given all of us. He will give us words to speak, you know. Give us words to speak from the Holy Spirit as we witness you know, it's interesting, earlier in this passage, when, when Mary says, how will this happen? I'm a virgin. She says, the, the, the Holy Spirit will overwhelm you. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And that sentence, almost verbatim, uh, in the original language, appears one more time in the scriptures. And it's in Acts 1-8, when Jesus tells his disciples, wait for my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's the same exact language, will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. How do you respond to Christmas? How do you respond? What's the proper response to the arrival of Christ? Man, you go tell somebody. You witness. He comes, we go. And we go to witness. We go to share what Christ has done for our lives. And this season should be an easy season to share. Because everybody's talking about Christmas. Now, they may not know the real reason of Christmas. They may be, you know, whatever. I remember when Emmy was in first grade, she came home and they were doing coloring papers about Christmas. And, and, at her pod of about seven kids, she was. She said, "You know, I'm the only kid at our table as we were coloring that knew about Jesus. Like that, they had no clue that Jesus and Christmas went together. You know, we have a whole world like that. And so now, as we talk about Christmas with coworkers and workers and clerks at stores and stuff, there's this openness that we can share. Like this is why this is an exciting season for me. This is who Jesus is." He comes and we go to witness. Just pause here. Think about how Jesus has come into your life right now. Just take a few seconds. What has Jesus done for you? 
Just take a few moments, like not a rhetorical question, like I actually mean, mean for you to do it. Pause. I'll give you 15 seconds. You think about what has Christ done in your life? Now I want you to be brave and say it out loud so everybody can hear. Just like, we'll do it popcorn style. Just, don't, you know, you just don't need to raise your hand. Just say it out loud. Like, what has Christ done for your life? Say it quickly and out loud. Now. Salvation. Salvation. Yeah. Peace. Forgiveness. Yes. Joy. Love. Anybody? What'd you say? Direction, absolutely. Give direction in our life. Anybody else? Family. Giving you family. So just in a few seconds, we were able to come up with some good news about Jesus. This is what we have to share. Think about the people, the impact that Jesus has had in your life and how he could impact others. And then ask the Lord to give you the courage to speak to these people he's brought, he brings to mind. Commit to going to them and responding the way Mary responded to Jesus as Jesus came. And if that scares you, learn from Mary. Allow the Spirit to overwhelm you and to empower you. And say to God, may it be to me as you have said. You said go into the world and share Jesus. You said you'd give your Spirit to do it. I trust your promise and I'll be your witness. Jesus comes and we go. We go to witness. But that's not the only thing that happens. Take a quick look at verse 46. Mary says after this visit with Elizabeth, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty ones done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud of their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones that lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich away empty. Let me just say this too. Not all those things are, have happened yet, have they? But notice how much Mary trusts. You know, I said earlier that she trusts God, that his promises will be fulfilled. She trusts him so much in his promises she speaks as if the promises have already happened. She speaks in a tense, in a grammar tense, of saying it's already done. Even though not all proud rulers have been humbled, right? Not all the hungry have been fed, have they? But Mary trusts God's promise so much, she can speak as if they've already happened. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Besides witness, what other response does Mary have right here? Well, it's a song, and it's a song of worship. She worships, and what rich worship it is. She declares that God is the God of the humble. He may be the king of kings, but he is not an elitist. He is the God of the poor and the pious poor. The pious poor would mean those, regardless of their economic standard, those who know they need him, that spiritually they're poor. He promises, his promises are so true that he, she speaks of them as if they're already fulfilled. We're blessed not because of who we are, but because God is, who God is and the great things he's done for us. And so she responds to the coming of Christ with worship. 
speech last night of, of uh, the last conference we did in Brazil, but I challenged the men. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I noticed in the room the women were, were very much engaged in, in worship, and, and most of the men didn't even sing. Um, and so it just felt like I needed to, to share about uh, a challenge the Lord had given me. And some of you have heard this before, the challenge the Lord had given me a few years ago, which was I noticed like when I watched a sports game, you know, like a Buckeyes game or a football game, NFL, whatever, where I was cheering for a team with the Reds, I, I noticed like my response to when something good happened. Uh, the Buckeyes had a sack or, or they would score something. I noticed I would come flying off the couch and cheer, right? And so in the conference, I literally was sit, I sat down on the stage. And so my interpreter, who was Elba, the pastor of the church, she would sit down on the stage and I would jump up and yell, this is how I would respond. Like, yeah, go for it. And I would jump. And she jumped the first time doing it, mimicking me, forgetting that she had heels and on. And so that, that was interesting. And so it was so fun. I thought I'd tell the story again. So I did it again just to see her jump. And I literally did that and told her, I'm doing this again just to see you do this. And so we, I did that. And I said, you know, like when they score, I'm never like, yay, go team, you know. And so the Lord convicted me several, several years ago now, probably a decade or more ago. And he just simply said, you know, I never want you to have more affections for a sports team than you do for me. So people will say, like, why do you raise your hands? Why do you clap? Why do you cheer? Why do you talk during worship? You know, say things to God all out. Well, because it, it seems pretty sad that the greatest victory ever done in my life, like, who cares if the pigskin gets across a white line or not? Like, in the end, it ain't going to matter. And yet I'm cheering more for that than the fact that somebody died for me who was innocent, who gave me eternal life, who's filled me with grace, has given me all those things you guys shouted out a little bit ago. Like, I, I, at the very least, I ought to have that same level of affection. And so I challenged the men. And as it turns out, we did, I went on to the sermon. That was free form, whatever. You know, that wasn't part of the conference. I just went on with teaching. And at the end, we're tearing down. We're taking all the chairs down out of the sanctuary. And the worship band just starts playing out, out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you know, more than half of the people had already gone because the conference was over and we're just cleaning up. And all of a sudden, the people stop cleaning up and they just start worshiping. And this is a little longer video than I would normally show. But I just want to show you how the people responded what, and why did they respond? Because Christ had come. I mean, we saw at least two people delivered. We saw somebody with a year-long depression set free, and she was changed that night. We saw backs healed, and we, we had, you know, seen cysts removed, and we'd seen, you know, hip pain go away. We saw knee healed. We just saw all these things happen. Christ had come, and what's the proper response? Well, you go and tell people. And there are actually more people there each night because people went and told their friends what God had done the previous night. So you witness, but you also worship. And that's the proper response when Jesus comes. Take a look at this video. Let's play this.
good, wasn't it? I mean, obviously the Americans showed up, the Brazilians on the dancing. Um, I have no idea what we were punching, but that, that was the move they were doing. So why did we, were, like, again, we're tearing down, like, and the band just starts playing and tear down stops, and we just, I mean, this was like 20 minutes straight. I'm like, I was more winded from that than any of the work projects we did, and uh, which may say something about my work level at the work project, but uh, why did we respond that way? Well, Jesus showed up. He showed up for three nights, and for a handful of us that had done several conferences and visited uh, towns and houses and prayed for people, and see God, we'd seen God show up for about 10 days. So there's something that, that, that's unique here. I mean, something that, that we need to see is that when Jesus comes, the proper response is we go, we go to witness, but we also worship. And perhaps when sometimes people say, well, man, worship's just a little flat or, or man, I wish people were more engaged. You know, it could be that we're just, you know, not used to worshiping. We, we, we're in a culture that allows us to be fanatics about sports teams and about, not about God, which is strange to me. Um, so that could be a part of it. But it could also be that maybe we're not seeing the works of Jesus. We're not seeing Jesus arrive the other six days of our lives. Because the way this thing's supposed to work is, like we leave here and we see Jesus show up in our everyday life. We see the Father at work and we, we look and we leap. We see him doing something and we jump into action with the Father. And we see Jesus show up and we see people's lives change. And we see our lives transformed in our daily quiet times with him. And then as we're meeting with people, as we're discipling people, as we're sharing our faith, as we're praying for people, as we're serving, as we're serving at the food pantry, giving out food, or, or serving in the kids' ministry, these different areas that we're involved in, we see Jesus at work. And that all builds up for six days and then we come together and we celebrate what Jesus has done, how he's come into our lives for six days. That's the way this thing's supposed to work. I get it in American Christianity, the way it often works is, I gotta get my Jesus buzz on Sunday and just hope I can make it and still be saved by Saturday night, right? And then I'll do it again. And certainly there are periods where this needs to be that. Like we all go through those seasons where we just need the body of Christ to help push us along. But what's supposed to be normal is we see Jesus coming into our life day after day after day. And we respond by worshiping him like, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our lives. What's the proper response to Jesus coming? We, Jesus comes, we go, we go to witness and we come in here to worship. And that's going to be something, a theme throughout the next four weeks that as you leave, I want the mentality to be, we go out to witness. And then the mentality every Sunday when you walk through the doors is, I've come to worship. Like, I haven't come to get anything. I've just come to give God glory and honor and praise for who he is and for what he's done in my life the last six days. And then you can't outgive God. So you give God glory and honor and power, and he never leaves you empty-handed. Like, he always shows up. And so whatever you receive, you leave, and you go witness to other people about it. Like, you'll never guess what Jesus did to my life. 
Man, you'll never see. Man, this is how Jesus got me through this horrible day on Tuesday. I want to tell you about it. You witness to Jesus' arrival. And the more we witness and see Jesus come into other people's lives in our own life, the more we'll have to worship. And the more we worship and the more we experience Jesus' presence when he comes to us here, the more we'll have to witness. Do you get to see that? How that just is cyclical as we go. It's time to implement the rhythm of Mary. Jesus came, we go. We go to witness, we come to worship. And the more we witness, the more we'll see Jesus come, and so the more we'll have to worship. So let's trust that God's promises always come true. He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And so even now in ministry time, let's anticipate the arrival of Jesus. Would you just stand with me? Come, Holy Spirit, right now in this moment. And I encourage you just to assume a posture that would be helpful of just receiving. It's your body, your mind, and your heart aligning. Nothing magical. It's not like a spiritual antenna. It's just recognizing the way God designed us, that we're whole beings. And so let your body match your heart. And if your heart isn't open right now, but you want your heart to be open, use your body to train your heart. sensing as we're waiting on the Lord and it's obvious the Lord is moving in our midst and I just want to 
encourage you to choose courage, to just say, I'm going to choose courage. And if, if these words apply to me, I'm going to respond. So I sense the Lord doing a few things. One is uh, just there's some people that the tug to be a better witness for Jesus, the conviction to be a better witness for Jesus, even some people in your life the Lord is bringing to mind right now that you want to come to know Jesus. Like there's just a burden on you. And I sense the Lord would have people receive prayer for a filling of the Holy Spirit, for an empowerment. And then you're going to have to take the risk and step out and see if the promise of the Lord is true, that his spirit gives us words to say when we share our faith. And so I just want to call forward, you. I know it's a brave thing to do. I just want to say, put some feet to your faith. Let's make this concrete and not just keep it internally and not do anything with it. But if you have this burden to witness, just come forward. And so just, just begin to come. And so I think there's several people this applies to. So go ahead. Holy Spirit, come. Also a sense of some people, so as you mull that over,